0: well, for us, it's a uh, it's a phenomenal day here out in Simi Valley. Mm-hmm. I was just looking outside; I was caught off by it. But um, just wanted to welcome you this this particular day, whatever day you're listening to, to uh, Beyond Sunday. Um, I think for just all the three of us sitting here, and Robin, who we we rarely acknowledge, but she's really the brains behind this mm-hmm. thing is just, I think, just the joy that I think all of us have when we, when we get together and we have this opportunity to take something as amazing as the Word of God and to take the Word of God and not just leave it in this, this ideal kind of theoretical reality, but man, how we end up friendships inside of Cornerstone, a local church, we really get to land it and we get to talk about how does this come to life in our day-to-day lives and not only our individual lives, but together as a, as a local church and those relationships of it. So I'm sitting here alongside Spencer McCush. We were going to say something about him. I can't remember what we were going to say about him. We had a discussion. Not helpful. Yeah, that's right. I think we just said <laughs> yeah. it. <that> <laughs> your filters for... kicked yeah. in finally. Public ears. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't even remember. We were kind of joking about what we were going to say about Spencer, but we were talking behind your back. Yeah. But I'm sitting here as well with, with, <laughs> with a Christian, good Christian uh, Burkhart, uh, and I'm Todd Nyswonger, and and we're just we're excited to talk today. We finally uh, moved from 1 Thessalonians. We had mm-hmm. a little hiccup at the very end as we looked at prophecy in, in first Thessalonians as we brought that to an end but very
1: important it was good more of a uh one of those rabbit trails you, you you take and then you go I'm really glad we took that that was important for us to take that
0: yeah it was it was obviously something I was caught off guard by but I'm so glad we did yeah, yeah. I agree with you I'm glad we took that little adventure because I think it really did set up second Thessalonians mm-hmm. And where we're going to be going in it, because actually it seems whether it was a prophecy, which I, I really do think a prophecy did it, but it could also have been a letter. It could have been just a false teaching. We don't we don't know, but it seems yeah. to be a false prophecy really could have been the reason this group of wonderful Christians got set off set off track. And so Paul now, after writing a, a letter a year prior in First Thessalonians, he's writing them again to address an issue that really does come from uh, First Thessalonians chapter four and five. But I think what's so cool about it is is in the past letter it seemed to be so general but boy does he come to a point in what yeah. he's going to do to I think in a in a very cool way is as a pastor. We were talking about this the other day together how sometimes we see Paul the theologian mm-hmm. who's definitely pastoral but then we see Paul the pastor who can be a theologian and in this in this letter I think Paul the pastor Yeah just comes out in such a beautiful way his heart his love for this particular group of christians and i think just even listening to you this this last this last weekend christian the way that you brought out paul's pastoral heart and really called us to see paul's pastoral heart and where he was going i thought was really cool especially on and again we'll we'll have the topic we're going to talk about that i'll set you up yeah but I thought that was just so helpful to see Paul, the pastor, like loving this group of people and in a very cool way through God's word, loving us.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, thank you, man. I think that that very much is what stood out to me. Again, especially Second Thessalonians is known as like an end times focused book. And sometimes when we get into end times theology, we can lose that pastoral heart to care for people. But I, I think that to to flip that back around and say everything that paul is going to say about the judgment of god about the return of jesus about the man of wallace and all that kind of stuff it's it's to motivate and bolster and encourage people to live faithfully right there in that day not just to for charts and graphs and setting dates of when jesus might come back it's it's absolutely this pastoral concern so i'm glad that came across
0: so okay so With that being said, why don't you kind of set the table for us, right? I I know we've kind of talked about where we're gonna go, but I would love for you to kind of help those listening. Could you just encapsulate kind of what we're gonna really be looking at today off of what you've preached on that we all agree this is something super important for us to talk about with with Cornerstone?
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. Again, I think to set up the whole letter, I mean he gets to it in the beginning of chapter two, this idea of don't be deceived by this other prophecy or spoken word or letter that seems to come from us and the, the the crux of the the false teaching in that message was that the day of the Lord had already come, that they had somehow missed the return of Jesus and what they were experiencing. Cause it seems clear in the letter, their persecution for their faith has ramped back up and you take increased suffering with a false prophecy saying you missed the return of Jesus. And what you're dealing with now is the judgment of God upon you. That would be very disorienting. And so from the start of his letter, he is seeking to, um, correct and fortify this group of people by saying, not only did you not miss the return of Jesus, but yes, you are suffering, but look at what's coming out of your life in the midst of that suffering. I think that's what's so cool. Like you see this in verses three and four, when he talks about, gosh, we're thanking God all the time for you. It's right and proper for us to do this because your love is, in, your faith is increasing. Your love, every one of you, your love for one another is increasing. And we're, we're, we're bolstering your good reputation among the churches of God. We're boasting about you, even though you're, you've been shamed and humiliated in your community in Thessalonica, amongst the churches of God, we're, we're talking you up because your faith and your steadfastness in the midst of the persecutions and the afflictions that you're enduring. Like there is something good going on in the midst of this. And then what he comes to in verse five, when he says, basically this, this idea of all of this That he's just thinking god and boasting about is evidence of the righteous judgment of god that they may be considered worthy of the kingdom of god for which Mm. they're suffering like he's really recasting the whole thing you are not suffering god's punishment he's not judging you in in a punitive sense but there is a sense in everything that you're experiencing already is is it's a gathered body of evidence that shows you, all, you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God because it's already the motivating principle of your life right now.
0: You know? So why, so, okay, land that for us as we kind of go in to kind of break open this text a little bit more. Why is this so important? Like you you really took a long time on the kingdom of God, which I appreciated greatly. Mm. So, okay, so why is this so important for us to, get, to grasp and to understand?
1: I think because the the gospel message and the gospel lifestyle lifestyle cannot be separated from each other. They have to go hand in hand. That the reality for the Thessalonians was that they were they were suffering for their belief that Jesus is God's king, that Jesus is the one bringing the good rule of God to redeem creation and to defeat his enemies. And in response to that faith, they're suffering. In response to that claim, they are being persecuted. And what Paul, I think the big picture of the whole thing is he's saying, not only are you carrying this message, but your lives are a demonstration of the truth of this message. Because how did Jesus demonstrate his kingship? Through humble service and suffering and and, and he endured the cross, despising its shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of God, Hebrews 12 says. You're, you're on that path. Like I think that was, I said that probably 10 times I think mm-hmm. on Sunday. You're on the right track. Like, don't think that you're off, you, you've you gone off the rails. Stay on target, really, is, is the big picture. Of this. I think that's where
2: <clears throat> the idea of why it's important is because in a culture and in a day, day and age where there's so much instability and uncertainty, especially in the church and within evangelicalism and in like here in Simi Valley at Cornerstone especially, um, I think we could take a lot of this as well, mm-hmm. take it to heart and go, hey, remember... Um, the, the evidence that you are indeed a part of the kingdom is how you respond in the midst of persecution mm. and suffering. Do you respond like what Paul is commending here in Second Thessalonians, where he's saying, hey, you know what, in the midst of suffering, you grew in your faith. Mm. You grew in your love for others. You grew in your steadfastness. And, and yeah, that suffering is real. Yeah, the uncertainty is real. Yeah, being ostracized from friends and family and people groups are real. But man, you know what? The way you did that, it validates that you are indeed, you are you are actually, to Christian your point, you're staying on target. You're actually, you're manifesting the reality of the kingdom of God. And he's like, hey, well done. I'm, I am bragging on you guys elsewhere. Man. So I think that's why it matters is because, man, it's like,
1: yes, we can we can benefit from this message. And that doesn't glamorize it. That doesn't now make this oh this fun road trip of suffering with Jesus. It's no, it's it's laborious, and that's why it's he's hard. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah. hard, but there's glory in it. It's not glamorous, but there is a glory to it. Not I, our glory. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm excited. I'm excited to unpack this a little bit. I, both these guys are faced me. Spencer just turned and faced me like they're gonna convince me of something, <laughs> and so I'm excited to be convinced about. The manifestation of the kingdom of God. So we'll we'll take a little time and we'll we'll kind of break this text open just a little bit more. All right. So one of the topics that we brought up within First Thessalonians, I don't remember if it was you or me or somebody laid out this It wasn't me. I I know it wasn't Spencer. (laughs) But one of us laid out this idea, and so I think it just might be good to connect it to Kingdom of God, yeah, is this idea of the upside down kingdom because we as we were kind of in between our little break kind of talking. And I agree with you. This lands very nicely into it. So why don't we expand that out just a little bit, bit, bit as we look at this ideal. Yeah. So maybe just real quickly, give a brief, maybe understanding of the upside down kingdom, but how you see it fit so nicely into this particular text.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. I think when we say the phrase upside down kingdom, we're refer, referring to the way that Jesus is... Uh, the, the authority that Jesus demonstrated in his ministry, which he says is the kingdom of God at hand, operates in a fundamentally different way than humans try to use authority. Um, again, I think Mark ten forty five is probably one of the most classic ones where, you know, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, man, you've heard that the rulers of the Gentiles lord, or lord it over them and they're the people in authority. They, they exercise it in, in power sometimes often coercion over those under their authority. And he says, not so with you, but whoever would be great among you must be the servant because even the son of man, Jesus himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So it is this counterintuitive kind of claim that yes, Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords, but the way that he demonstrates his kingship and his rule is by taking the low position by being that one who's obedient to the uh, taking on the form of a servant and obedient to the point of death on a cross. And in what in that regard what Jesus is doing is he is he is exposing the bankrupt way that we as fallen humans try to use power and coercion and which we still struggle with today. We still, even as Christians, want to use... I mean, the the Crusades, uh, of course, is a, is a particularly egregious example of people in the name of Jesus exerting military force and even, like, genocidal murder tactics as a way to further the kingdom of Jesus? No, that... You, you, we've got it upside down when we do that. And so I do think that it's it's a phrase that we use to just that, that way of saying, okay, we need to ho- approach this whole concept of leadership, of power, of authority in a fundamentally different way. And the way that I tried to say it on this Sunday, it's that the message of the gospel is not just that Jesus is king, but how he demonstrated his kingship through humble service, through a sacrificial death, through being the lamb led before the shears, that's silent. He doesn't open his mouth. He doesn't answer the charges brought against him. In every way to our eyes, it looks like he's losing. And yet that was the grand victory of God, the way Paul puts it in Colossians 2, that as Jesus is nailed to the cross, he is both nailing the record of our debt to that cross, and he is exposing the rulers and authorities to open shame by triumphing over them through that cross, it's upside down, it's counterintuitive. Through laying down his life so that he might take it up again, that is the way that Jesus breaks our typical way of thinking about power and authority.
0: Okay, so <clears throat> great explanation. So, how do we see this landed into this particular text with a specific group of people? Yeah, how do you see this upta- upside down kingdom? being made manifest in, in this in this particular way with them.
1: Yeah, again, you see that, that phrase that Paul uses in verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians 1, when he says that, that this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom for which you are suffering. He says everything that you're dealing with. This is not just you got sick or injured or car accident, or like, like just the, the various um, calamities that can happen to us in the midst of life. He makes it clear in this letter, you are being persecuted for your faith in Jesus. And in that regard, the world around you is treating you like they treated your king. You're walking in the footsteps of your king. And in the midst of that, you're being steadfast. You're you're persevering. You're you're remaining under it, was the way we saw that word mean. And even in the midst of remaining under it, as you're being pressed down by these afflictions, what's coming out of you, he says in verse 3? Your faith is growing abundantly. Your love for one another is increasing. Like what is coming out of you is the character of Jesus.
0: Yeah, and the marks of the kingdom.
1: And the marks of the kingdom. Even as you're walking a, a similar suffering path that Jesus walked. You're walking worthy of your king. Not only because it, this is showing that you, you truly believe he is king, but that your life is shaped by... Your, your life itself is a declaration. It, in the first letter, like in chapters one and two, he, he frequently used the language of imitation. You're Im- you became imitators of us. You became imitators of Jesus. And I think here in Second Thessalonians, this is just another way of communicating the same thing when he says you're be- you will be considered worthy of the kingdom because the outcome of your life looks like the king. Love, faith displayed even in the midst of persecution, suffering. You're putting Jesus on display.
0: Yeah, which that is that counterintuitive yeah. nature, which if this group of people is being bombarded regularly, mm is constantly as they as they rightly now have faith in following jesus right so they're being persecuted not just because but because Mm -hmm. of their faith in jesus it starts to take on a tone that you see in paul's other writings you see it in peter right you see it in john you see it's not like it's just we find it in this little section it's that you see jesus himself saying
1: like no disciples above his teacher it's enough that the disciple becomes like his teacher. So if the world hates me, how do you think they're going to treat you? Right? And,
0: uh, yeah, and that's exactly what I was getting to. It This is the norm, mm-hmm. right? It's not like this unexpected reality that, well, wow, shut up. Like, what's going on in our world? That actually this is the path mm-hmm. of those who follow, who follow Jesus. Yeah.
2: I think there's also a, a really important thing to consider is you're talking about, like, how Jesus... Um, turns the idea of a kingdom upside down. But I think that's assuming we we understand the importance of why the kingdom matters to begin with. Like this goes all the way back to the the covenant that God made with David, which goes all the way back to the beginning yeah. of like before sin that enters right. into the world of like, hey, God wanted his creation to be ruled over well. Yeah. Sin makes that all of a sudden, you know, Genesis three seventeen that that we're going to be... You know yes. ruling over things in a way where we're creating conflict yep. and not working with creation but against it and yep. and but God still wants his creation to be ruled over properly and then you get to that passage in second Samuel 7 right where God makes that promise and I love the way that what is it the um uh, he promises the forever King um big picture storybook Bible
1: yeah yeah you know of
2: going But that God promises. I see
0: that page. I know.
2: I I love that little you know storybook Bible. But it's, um, but I think it's important to realize that that this idea of the kingdom of God is not something new, and it's not something uh, that Jesus um, like. It's not new with Jesus. This is something that the people of God and that God's creation has been longing for from the beginning. Yeah. sin made it a little more difficult and and kind of got it sideways but God promises this idea of a forever king to David mm-hmm. the nation of Israel anticipated that for generations went sideways a whole bunch and then Jesus breaks on to the scene and says okay hey now we're gonna talk about the kingdom and I am that king yeah and so that, I, I think I think we have to build that anticipation in this
1: absolutely and I think the the idea of when we say upside down kingdom that's it's from is from our perspective. Jesus demonstrates what has always been the good rule of God in terms of a an others-focused, but others-focused in the sense of, come to me, see my glory as the greatest thing, right? Uh, live underneath my good rule, but my good rule does not take advantage of you. My good rule mm-hmm. is life-giving and, and upbuilding. That's the right-side-up kingdom.
0: Yeah, now Our understanding of power yeah. is what's Inverted. That is so true, right? Where we've lived upside down for so long, we think his kingdom's upside down. Yeah. And it's actually us who are yeah. upside down yeah. looking at the kingdom that's actually right side up, mm. which is a completely different perspective for how we view your view, view kingdom as you just kind of laid it out from that point of Genesis all the way through. Yeah. I do think there's a beautiful mystery, though, that Jesus lands into the kingdom, right? That for the first time we see a man actually live it out. Mm-hmm rightly is as the proclaimed king you know no human had ever done that before and suddenly we have the one that finally walks the path that in many ways a hebrew says he becomes a pioneer for us actually now all to yeah walk this particular path of of the kingdom which i think that's pretty powerful in and of itself if he had he not walked it first there's no way we would walk it behind him Mm -hmm. which is really amazing
1: amen yeah so i think it's that it's the the message of the gospel that we believe is that Jesus's way of ruling is good and not only good for him but good for us to follow in his footsteps as a husband as i walk with my wife i want to demonstrate the self-giving upbuilding servanthood of Jesus as as a father with my four kids i want to not just press them into my expectations of the way that they should behave. I need that upside down kingdom mindset in the way that I operate in those ways. It's, the, it's not only that Jesus died and rose again so that my sins can be forgiven and I can be, them, be, be with him forever. As true as that is, it's the sense of saying what Jesus shows us is true life, is true rule, is it's, it's truly the way that God intended us to live. And yet, in the midst of this broken, fallen world, that will create tension in my heart alone. (laughs) Like, just starting there, I'm going to fight against this. And then I should expect that the world around me We'll not always embrace this as good. There's certain aspects of it, right? When Just think about the way that we often use the word of like service or public service, or we, we talk to like military veterans, thank you for your service, right? There is a sense within our culture where this lauded. idea of service is lauded. I think that is one of like the, the remnants of the Christian influence in our, in our society is this sense that we all look at servanthood, of sacrificial servanthood as a good thing. But man, we sure like to pull the levers of power if it's going to be a quicker way to
0: get what we want. Yeah. But there is a dynamic, like we were talking earlier about 2 Corinthians 2, in which one group of people is going to look at us and it's going to be from death to mm-hmm. death, right? They're going to see this life. It's not going to make any sense. In fact, it's going to be repulsive, mm-hmm. right, to, to live the upside down kingdom or the way you put it, to right size ourselves up to see the kingdom correctly. But I do think there's something that is appealing to others. It's going to be from death to life. Mm-hmm. They're going to see something about that that is like right and it, true.
2: You just referenced Second Corinthians. Can you explain that? Because you just jumped into something I think is really important, but
0: it's yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, in Second Corinthians two, well, in Second Corinthians as a whole, Paul yeah. is having to explain the upside down kingdom. Yeah, and he's actually having to, as a guy, defend himself on why he walks the way he walks. Right. In the upside down kingdom, because people are looking at him going, dude, you're persecuted. You're, you're right. constantly look weak. Like how in the world can that be the kingdom? Right. And so it was so repulsive to right. certain people.
2: And he says, everyone's giving off an aroma. Yeah. For, it, for the aroma of suffering and death is going to be life giving for some people and it's going to lead to death for yeah. Yeah His
0: whole point is I get it. Some of you are going to, that point is some of you are yeah. going to look at me. And you're going to go, no way. I don't want that. I don't want the yeah. kingdom that Jesus delivered that I'm now watching Paul go. Mm-hmm. No, I want the I want the kingdom of power and strength and yeah. right? how we perceive it. And he just says, he goes, man, the aroma to one group of people is going to smell nasty. Yeah. It's going to smell death. But the idea is that there are going to be other people that are going to look at it. And he, he understood this right into him. Yeah. I get it. Some of you are going to look at me, though, and you're going to see life. Mm-hmm. And you're going to embrace this upside down kingdom And I think like his whole connection is, is which are you going to follow? Are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the pathway of Jesus that Mm -hmm. I'm following that brings glory and honor and power Mm -hmm. to Jesus, to Jesus, right? Which is then chapter three, chapter four, Mm -hmm. chapter five, or are you going to follow the pathway of these other people, which in a lot of ways he's saying is the pathway of Satan, right? The elevating yourself. The, the using power wrongly, yeah. uh, the, the way that we puff ourselves up back to Genesis 11, making a name for ourselves. Which path are you going to follow? And he calls them, follow the path of Jesus yeah. that I'm following.
2: Yeah, but bringing it back to Second Thessalonians, it's interesting there. Because when it, we're going to have to hold on to it for a couple of weeks. But as soon as you turn and get into chapter 2, and you start about talking about some of these deceptions and, and delusions that are kind of... Leading people astray, all of a sudden there are these echoes of, like, what kind of kingdom are you about here?
0: Yeah. yeah. And I tell you what, like, I mean, we have to hit the placeholder on that one, but it's yeah, it's gonna, there though. I mean, keep you my said mouth it I'm like, on that, but I'm like, like man. for you and I, as you and I yeah. talked about getting ready to preach on that particular yeah. one.
1: Good luck, end- by the way. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, it's a simple passage. But I think, like, the, to, again, even to go back to why it matters. This truly does matter. It it seriously defines not only who we are in this temporal life; it defines our eternity, mm-hmm. right? This is how big it is to talk about the upside down kingdom. To refuse the to walk the path yeah. of the upside down kingdom that God has rescued us and called us now to walk in in line with King Jesus. The outcome, which you deal with the text more than I do, is tragic at mm-hmm. the end of that path. You don't you don't want to walk that path, which. And we'll talk about with you next week, even to yeah. the judgment of Jesus that comes to bear. But, oh my gosh, like even listening to you guys right now, I f- even feel the weight of yeah. that reality mm-hmm. that this isn't just a nice, nice, neat thing to do. Yeah. No, to walk this path is the only path. It is the narrow way. It is the narrow gate, right? Mm-hmm. To, to use the words of Jesus. There is no other path for the people of Jesus to walk. We don't walk it perfectly, Mm-mm. But this is the path we've been called to. But at the end of that path, that's why I think it's so cool, is glory. Amen. Right? It's the eternal weight of glory that you, I remember the first time you pointed out to in Second Corinthians four, just these these light, momentary afflictions versus this eternal weight of glory. Oh my gosh! Like, why wouldn't I want that that path as the means of not only bringing glory to Jesus, but that it's actually the path in which we're glorified, yeah. right? And a really in the right way where we don't bring glory to ourselves, but God chooses to glorify us through His Son, mm-hmm. which is powerful. All right, I think we're ready to talk about implications. Are you ready for that? All right. All right, so in our little break, we were, you asked the question that Spencer always asks, which I'll let him kind of ask us <laughs> yeah. so that he gets to I receive get the, the honor. I get the honor. And the honor of asking. Yeah, no. but I think what we were talking about, which is so true, we don't understand kingdom nor kingship right and what that means because in our cultural context of a mm-hmm. of a democratic republic we we got rid of those losers a long time ago right and now we're 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 these people that have evolved into the you know the way humanity is is supposed to be i
1: think it's that sense we have no experiential knowledge of living under a king but we do have this familiarity mostly through fairy tales and like figurehead monarchs and things like that. where it's like,
2: yeah, the British crown is the closest thing we see to it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or despots, right. That are called themselves Kings that are
1: like dictatorial. I mean, which in some ways you're moving closer to ultimate authority, like, like complete authority, but not the life giving rule of God.
2: Um, gosh, this is probably 15 years ago. Uh, a couple cornerstone set, uh, a handful of folks, um, a uh, little short-term visit to encourage some missionaries, and they, as they were, they were in uh, Jordan in the Middle East, and um, and one of the one of the guys from Cornerstone asked a Jordanian family who this picture was up on the mantle. Do you remember this the story? Yeah. And uh, the family was like, "Well, th- well, that's the king," and and family the guy from Cornerstone said, "Well, it, well, he is. Is he a good king?" And this this Jordanian family was like. What do you mean? He's the king. He's the king. And they're like, no, no, but you, do you like him? And the family was like, what do you what do you, talk, what do you mean? He's the king. And they didn't have the capacity to understand the question of even evaluating the king because he was the king. And I don't even have a place to judge. And it was just this yeah. cultural like talking right past each other. But for me, that's such an amazing illustration of how we don't fundamentally understand what it means to have a king who actually has rule and authority, mm. where they don't even get to sit in a seat of judgment or evaluating their performance. It's like, no, they're the king. They do, they do what they do, and I do what I do, but we don't mix. I'm not asked to give my opinion. <laughs> right, exactly. Hey,
1: just, he's the king.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's the king. I'm not, okay. Yeah. Um, but I think that's so important for us as we're like, I, you guys were talking through Second Thessalonians, what it means to be worthy of the king and this upside down kingdom. In my head, I'm thinking, OK, so how does this relate to Cornerstone? How does this relate to us in the U.S., Southern California, 2022? You know, And I think you guys are, are hitting it here of going, man, we we struggle to wrap our heads around like the idea of an absolute monarch, mm-hmm. an absolute ruler. Like you go back to like, you know, you're a his, history nerd and I, I used to play in that world and, and going, you know, a banner flew above Boston in the revolutionary war that says we serve no sovereign here, like woven into the DNA, the founding of our, you know, the country here is we don't do Kings, <laughs> you know, but then we affirm Jesus is the King, but then we never really ask the question, what does that even mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I think Christian, you, you talked about this a little bit. But I think we need to unpack this a little bit. For cornerstone, is like what does it mean to be a king and have a kingdom? Mm -hmm. And I think you referenced uh, Lad. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, help us understand like what it means to be a or have a king and a kingdom.
1: Yeah. Again, and this is again. I'm. I feel like in some ways I'm talking about a language that I know a little bit of, you know, yeah. just, there's just not a lot of experiential knowledge for, for of course me in this either. But I just think at least as a starting point, what I've seen guys like George Ladd and others do is to say, when we hear, especially that word kingdom, we think realm, we think territory, we think the area that a King has authority over. And at least just shifting that perspective from not the place that the King rules over, but to the rule of the King, the Kingship, the, the authority of the king. Um, and then you're then you're asking the question, okay, well, what, what's, what's the nature and extent of that authority? Like, mm-hmm. who gives that king the right? Right? And, uh, obviously, back in, like, the, the Middle Ages, they would talk about the divine right of kings, this idea that God had given them. to kings this complete authority. Well, who gave God the right? Well, this is, again, where the authority of God comes from him being the author. Mm-hmm. I think Colossians 1 is the really clear place where we see that, where it talks about Jesus, the one who, um, all things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities in heaven and earth were created by Jesus. They were created through him and for him. His authority is absolute, is universal, because the universe exists by his creation. And ultimately, he says, there for him he's the intended i guess you could say recipient of it he made things for himself um again and we see in the character of god not from like a manipulative that's, self-serving that's so hard to wrap our minds oh, gonna, around though we can't and you and i were
2: both shaking
1: i mean okay. yes but what <laughs> yeah yeah so that sense of okay the the i mean i feel like a guy like a like a john piper has been so formative for a lot of us this 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 idea that that God is the greatest thing that there is. And out of the generosity of God's heart, he creates a world to share in his goodness. There is nothing better that God can give us than himself. And so this idea that God created everything through him and for him is to enter in. I mean, when Jesus says that in the parable of the talents, enter into the joy of your master, that's what we were made for. To enter into the joy that is God. That's what it means that we were made for God. And all of the ways that we trip over it is because we're Adam and Eve's kids. We've born been born with our middle finger in the air, saying, "I want to do what I want to do. I don't right. want to submit to your authority." That's yeah, it's
2: not it's not exclusively to the U.S., although the U.S. is certainly complicit in that. <laughs> yeah, right, I'm going, we are all descendants of Adam and Eve, but but I guess coming back, I mean, I just want to add on to it's not just the realm. The I mean, it is the realm of the king and the extent yeah. of rulership, but even like the the if you break down the word kingdom. It is like the king's domain. It is the extent of the rule of the king. And going, there is no part of the kingdom that the king does not have rule and reign over. Mm -hmm. Which I don't think we really wrap our heads around that because, I don't know, it's just such a big concept and it's so foreign to the way we
1: think. Yeah. It's like, it's not a matter of accepting the rule of the king. He is the king.
0: Even if you accept it or don't accept it. It right? doesn't matter what it's you that,
1: think. That scene from Monty Python, like, who made you the king? I didn't vote for you. You don't vote for kings. <laughs> you just
2: referenced Monty Python. There's like six people who probably listen to podcasts and know who Monty Python
1: <laughs> Disclaimer, I do not ignore everything that Monty Python says or stands for.
2: So I guess the, the, the question, if we take like the big idea of the king and kingdom, and then you drop it down practically, because like to what we were talking about at, at the break... Of going, this is a big picture idea of going, okay, so the, the king's ruling over everything and ruling in a way that would, because he's the creator. Mm-hmm. And so it's all things are created by him and for him. And there's nothing outside of creation that he's not ruling over. So practically, what does that actually mean then? Like, I don't know. I mean, Todd, Todd, is there anything in your life that Jesus isn't the king over?
0: <laughs> you know me. You can list stop many of the things you...
2: Todd just went about four shades of red there, yeah. so.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting listening to you guys talk because at like the core of it I think the struggle is what you said, Christian, is we are born with a propensity to think somehow I have a right within me yeah. to reign and rule in a way that I was never given. Mm-hmm but yet that is our predisposition. Mm-hmm. That is why Jesus came, right? He came to show us you're you're not king. It's that moment in Romans 9, which we always make a, an issue of election. Mm-hmm. But there's just that statement where Paul is, you know, he has the right <clears throat> as the potter to make whatever he wants to do. Yeah. And then he says, who are you, oh man? Right? right. I think there's that constant conflict every day for me anyways, <clears throat> of who are you, Todd? Right. It's like, you, the, everything is under mm-hmm. God's reign and rule. And so therefore, because everything is under God's reign and rule, it's now learning how to bring every facet of our life into that good reign and rule, which on one end, I'm thankful it's a lifetime endeavor. Mm-hmm. It's not like a something I have to learn immediately because I don't see many of the things, but over time, the way God's so gracious and allows us to learn that.
2: But if if you just said, and I, I mean, I agree with you, have gone, if, if we're bringing everything under... God's good reign and rule and what we were talking about last week and this week of of like the gospel of the kingdom of God. That means there's nothing that falls outside of his reign and rule. Right. But but I think like one of the things that we wrestle through here at Cornerstone, and I know that I'm complicit in this both past teaching and just current just struggle in my own heart of going, we we look at the scope of Jesus as being king, and we affirm it. We say, "Yeah, Jesus is the king. He's going to rule over the religious part of my life and the salvation part of my life, and maybe ten percent of the financial part mm-hmm. of my life. But all these other areas, like I'm in charge." Mm-hmm. And so, we're, on one, we re, we do this really dirty trick of like we affirm that Jesus is king because we compartmentalize our lives mm-hmm. a little
0: yeah. bit. Well, I think we were taught that. I know, that's what I'm saying. And again, not to pick on the people that taught me. Mom, I now know you listen to this podcast, so (laughs) you are not the one that taught me this. But but I think there's a side of it where we were taught 10% is God's and 90% is yours. Right. We were taught that God is king of our whole moral life. Right. But these other facets of your life, no, this is where you get to play. How you you, run
2: your business is different than that. Whatever, right?
0: Pick one. And then all of a sudden you get married and you start to realize that, that that person that I'm married to, in my case, obviously a woman, but that's not just anybody. That's his, that's his daughter, mm-hmm. right? That's, she's his. Mm-hmm. I didn't die for her. It's She was purchased with the very blood of Jesus. And so, therefore, I'm looking across at this woman and realizing, okay, his kingship comes to bear in her life. And my stewardship in her life is to figure out how in the world do I join him And what I mean, it's just it goes down to the very core of, you know, like what Paul talks about in in 1 Corinthians 10 is that whether we're eating or drinking or whatever we do, right? The most mundane things of our lives, learning the kingship of Jesus is so it's such a lifetime endeavor. Yeah.
1: And I think, again, that that is another reason why we think the biblical story is so important. Oh, amen. Because 100%. You see the way that God set up the life for the Old Testament people of Israel and everything from the food they ate to the clothes they wore to the way they worked their fields to the way that they dealt with debts and all of that. Like you see the kingship of God in terms of his his claim to say, yes, I'm going to show you how to operate in every area of your life. And that matters to him. And I do think like to your point about, you know, my morality, 10 percent of my finances and things like that. We have these certain areas. We go, "Okay, God cares about that. But then in so many other areas of life, there's kind of three questions we think through. What do I want? What's right or wrong? And then what works? And so we just kind of go, okay, that's the, okay, how far to the edge can I get? And things like that. Or even just to say, there's oftentimes where I've, I've sat with people, you know, and, and, and we've been talking through God's word or something like that. And they can even see something in the teaching of Jesus and say, that's really good, but the world doesn't work like that. So I have to have a different grid for my job or things like that. it's like, hold on a second. Back to your question. How much of the kingdom does the king not rule? And and if we're more prone to go with pragmatic, here's what works in the real world. Jesus rules over the real world. He has sent us to put his goodness on display to the real world. And that just means that. Back to the point in this passage of steadfastness, of perseverance, we have to keep in mind that this means that the fat path of following Jesus in the midst of the up, upside down kingdoms of this world means that we're going to have a propensity to try to steer away from tension, when oftentimes we need to steer into that tension in the way that it brings up things in our own hearts and in the, the world around us as we seek to live under this fundamentally different kind of kingdom.
2: Which I think begs the question, or not begs the question, it demands us respond to this of going, I know I'm prone to self-deception. Uh, yeah, And so I need other people to look at my life and go, hey, I think you're not aligned to Jesus being king here. I don't think you've really thought through the implication of, of what this passage talks about and saying, hey, you know what, you're evidencing, you know, the the... You're worthy of the kingdom of God here, right? Mm -hmm. And going, because I can talk myself into just about anything or talk myself out about just about anything. Which I
0: think like this, when we talk about the kingdom is why we need each other.
2: No, 100%. Right,
0: because we don't see those. That's why I joked earlier. I mean, I don't know if you remember it, but this would have probably been 10 years ago. We were sitting at a Wendy's over in the Valley having lunch together, and you totally called me out of my Messiah complex. Do you remember that? I do.
2: Yeah, you're on sabbatical I'm just and like continue. I'm,
0: <laughs> I'm just glad you remember. It makes me feel better that I was hurt by that. But no, I think like there's that there's that beautiful side of this discussion that I think we, there's a tendency to go work out this kingdom thing on our alone, all alone, right? yeah. mm-hmm. and trying to figure it out in kind of this theoretical realm of our mind, and it's not. And this is why we do this podcast: is mm-hmm. that these kingdom realities are meant to be lived out in the context of a specific local church for us it's cornerstone in meaningful relationships with other kingdom citizens citizens that really help us to do this and i think like we'll just because we're kind of running out of time here but i'll just say that like i really do think like one of the things that is a takeaway from this is how much actually we truly need each other in this process of of landing into into the kingdom so Awesome. We'll call it a we'll call it a, a, a time. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you so much, to Stephen, for taking the time to process and wrestle with us through some of these things. And my and my heart is again is that is that all of you not not just us, but that you would you yourselves would dive into God's amazing Word. That you would see that there are so many amazing ideals and concepts to be there, but that you would in the relationships that you have with other people. In the midst of a local church cornerstone that you truly would see these things come to life and that this this worthiness in and around the kingdom wouldn't just be something we we talk about or we even maybe even fantasize mm-hmm. about but we actually see made manifest on a daily regular basis in this church so god bless you all and uh we hope to talk to you later